our scripture reading, we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. We'll back up a little bit to verse 19 of chapter 8. Verse 19 of chapter 8, and then read through chapter 9. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living to the dead to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. They shall pass through it, hardly be stead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of reason, Against him, and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men. 
neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burneth as the fire, it shall devour the, devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest. And they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. And the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. And he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. And he shall eat on the left hand and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim. And Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So far we read from God's holy word this afternoon, and the passage that we consider is verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the prophecies, the prophecies, the prophecy of Isaiah makes reference to a number of historical events. In this first section, in this section uh, of the prophecy of Isaiah, we read of the northern tribes. The ten tribes, you recall how the ten tribes broke away from Judah. Well, the ten tribes were working together with Syria and were coming against Judah. So the northern tribes working with Syria together coming against Judah. And at that time, the king of Judah was wicked King Ahaz. And wicked King Ahaz turned to Assyria. And in this, uh, during this time, when the when the king of the king Ahaz is one who is turning to Assyria, God spoke about the coming of the promised Messiah, the promised King the one who would be born of a virgin, the one whose king, of whose kingdom there would be no end. A little later in the book of Isaiah, we read of another event. We read of the, when Sennacherib came against, when the Assyrians came against Judah. So before, it was the northern tribes and Syria coming against Judah, and then Judah, the king Ahaz, looking to the Assyrians. And then later we read of the Assyrians coming against Judah. But at that time, Hezekiah is king. And Hezekiah prays to the Lord and looks to the Lord for deliverance. And then we read of all of the this huge number of the army of the Assyrians that was dead. We read of this in this central section of Isaiah. From Isaiah, when we start in verse chapter 36 and so on, we start reading of that history, of now the contrast. Instead of Ahaz, they have Hezekiah. And he turns to God in prayer. He looks to God for deliverance. 
and this host of the Assyrians, this large multitude of people, are dead. And then a little later in the book, and then also in the history, we read of how God spoke about the coming of the Babylonians later, and how the Babylonians would come and take the people of Judah eventually into captivity, but that would not take place in Hezekiah's time. It's in this historical context that we find a number of prophecies about the coming of the king. The promised son of David, who would be the son of God, the one whose kingdom would continue forever, that of his kingdom there would be no end. And there would be peace. And yet at the same time when we read of this, the coming of the Messiah, and then there will be peace, very quickly you'll also read about the judgments, the destruction. It's one of the things when we read the prophecy, you can go back and forth so often. You have this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and the Prince of Peace and his kingdom, and then very quickly it turns about the judgments upon the impenitent. And then when we wonder, now, how are we to explain that? Well, we do actually see that in what took place when the Messiah did come. That on the one hand, the Messiah came, the promised Prince of Peace. He came and he offered the perfect sacrifice and he delivers his people. And yet that coming king executes judgment upon the impenitent that many are the hypocrites many are those that continue on impenitently in sin and the coming king executes the judgment of God against them and so repeatedly we re read of how there's going to be this judgment on the many impenitent and the preservation of God's covenant people that the church would be preserved even in the midst of of an anti-Christian world power. And the, though even it was, though it was the case that in the days of when Christ came, then the empire was the Roman Empire. And then the angels announced the birth of the Messiah, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Peace. And yet as Christ comes, he suffers, he dies, he rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, they're still in the midst of the Roman Empire as they were before. And they have the, the Jewish leaders who very quickly were going to throw, have that they were going to be leading the way in the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that would come upon the church. And yet God's people are saved. They have peace. They have deliverance from sin and Satan. They have peace with God. We recognize that is the way it is still today. We live in the midst of this wicked world. And as we read about the judgments upon the hypocrites, we recognize that just what God told us about what it was going to be like in the last times, we see that today. We also see how God chastens his people in love. His people also are sinners. And he chastens, he chastens them in his love for them. And we experience that chastening too. And we're thankful for God's care of us. And we rejoice at the birth of the Savior. And at this time of the year, we, we talk about the coming of the Savior, that the Savior has come. And that our King is wise. That our King is powerful. That the name of our King is wonderful. That the kingdom of our King 
will last forever. And in the trials we go through, in whatever difficulties we face, we are to say the words of this text with joy and gladness in our heart. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. We consider this passage under the theme, The Coming Prince of Peace. We consider, first of all, the promised son, secondly, the Messiah's government, and thirdly, the abiding peace. First, we look at it from the viewpoint that there is promised in this text that the, to the church that a son will be given to the church. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This passage, along with that passage in Isaiah 7:14 about a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. During this time, we read of how God was making known more about the coming Messiah. And here we see how in Isaiah 7, he spoke about a virgin's going to conceive. His name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Here, another verse about the coming Messiah, we're told that his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. That was made known in the Old Testament. Now, in the, now that Christ has come, now that we have the New Testament, now that the Spirit is poured out, Spirit guides us, more so to an understanding of these passages, we do see what was made known already in the days of the old dispensation. The coming Messiah, the coming seed of the woman, the one that they had been looking for, the coming Savior would be God himself. The everlasting Father. The Son is the image of the Father. The Son reveals the Father. And the Son said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, and yet also a real man. Unto us a child is born. That the Messiah would be a real man. A virgin would conceive and bear a son. A real man. The seed of the woman, born of a virgin, who would sit on the throne of David. The promised seed of Abraham. The promised son of David, who would sit upon the throne of David. Given to us, that we be organically united with him. The promised son, the promised son of God. You recall that when God spoke to David about his son, David's son, and how of his kingdom that he said about the coming son of David, he shall be, I shall be his father and he shall be my son. So he spoke about David's son and he told David that the child would be the son of God. The second person of the Trinity would take upon himself the human nature, two natures united in the one person of the Son of God. A gift. When it says here, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
when someone gives you something, that which is given to you is yours. And we understand that. Somebody gives you something as a gift that is yours. This son is given to us. He's ours. He's our Lord. The church, as a church, we speak of him as our husband. He is our king. Our king. He's our he's a son given to us, and he's going to be our king who will rule, who will govern who will care for us. And that was the good news, too, that he will certainly care for his people. He will protect them. And in times when they hear the northern tribes are working together with the Syrians, or if later they hear the Assyrians are coming against Jerusalem, Or if later they hear the Babylonians are coming to take the people captive and that they actually do take the people captive. God will preserve his people. He will protect them. Jehovah is our God. The Messiah is our king. Back then it was the promised Messiah who would come who would reign forever. His name, his name is wonderful. And his name shall be called Wonderful. It is interesting that that word does appear, or very similar, the word very similar, with and in connection with His name does appear in the book of Judges. We read of it in Judges 13, verse 18. When the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, appears and speaks about the birth of Samson, the coming birth of Samson, and we read of in verse 15, in, uh, verse 17, we read, And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord spake, said unto him, Why askest thus after my name, seeing it is secret? And really the idea there is, the same as here, wonderful. His name, the messenger of Jehovah, the name of the coming prince of peace, is wonderful. And that term wonderful has the idea of that which is separated and distinguished from others. He's incomprehensible, our God is. And yet we do know him. He has revealed himself to us. His name. When we see references to his name, we know that that when the scriptures speak of his name and then tell us about his name, we know that it's telling us about, about his being, about his essence. That God is speaking to us about the wonder, who he is. The wonder of the incarnation. That he is God, that he is the second person of the Trinity. And he has taken upon himself the human nature. We often speak of the wonder of the incarnation. It's amazing. We all know that it that it's reality. Yet how amazing it is to think that this there was a man who walked on this earth, he looked like a man. 
and he is God. And that still today, the second person of the Holy Trinity has the human nature, has a human nature. God and man, God with us, the wonder, the wonder of the incarnation. And then we look at his wondrous works and how he would come and he would suffer and die for us, how he'd be raised from the dead, how he'd be ascending into the throne in heaven, and how God, he would, God would raise the whole creation. And the book of Isaiah speaks of the raising of the whole creation out of corruption, there be no more death, no more corruption. That there would be life, there would be liberty. And we are to behold his wondrous works and be in awe. And that idea of wonder, the thing of seeing something and wondering and being in awe. We are to marvel, we are to be in awe, we are to wonder as we contemplate the birth of the promised Messiah, the Son given to us. And his government, the Son that is given to us will be our ruler, our Savior, our ruler. Now we look back at that and we recognize too that he is our governor, he's our ruler already now. The Old Testament saints too believed in the coming Christ. Now Christ has come. He has ascended into heaven. He's our governor. He's our ruler. He's the prince. The term that's translated prince, the coming prince of peace, that term has that idea of one who is ruling, one who has dominion. And he has dominion now. God is governing and directing everything by him. Of the increase of his government, there would be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. He holds the keys. He rules the nations with a rod of iron. That's the case now, that the Messiah has come and he's ruling the nations with a rod of iron. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we talk about the keys of the kingdom. He, Jesus Christ, holds the keys. He's the one that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. He's the one who opens the kingdom to believers and who shuts it against unbelievers. He's the one that provides us. He provides us with everything that we need. Now, if one considers having their king in a position of rule, there's so much interest in our own country and other countries as well. There's so much interest in who's going to be the next leader. We spend so much time listening to all of the campaigning about who's going to be the next leader, or whether or not Congress, who's going to be in control of Congress, and the long campaigning of it. And the campaigning for the president starts so early. And it keeps going, and we wonder who's leading now, and who's, go who's it looking like it's going to be, and there's so much concern about that. From the viewpoint that we want whoever we want to be the one that's ruling, because then it's going to go better for us. If the one we want 
is the one that's in charge, it'll be better for us here. Well, we do vote. Well, at least we are, we, are, we are allowed to vote if we want to vote. And yet we know that God sets up rulers and takes them down. And there was time when it was God's will that the people would be in Babylon. And then when they came back, it was the Persians. And then after that, it was the Greeks. And then it was the Romans, and they were under the Caesars. And yet it was well for God's people during those times. Regardless of who it is, God has determined who the rulers are going to be in our own country and other countries. We can apply it to other countries. We're, we're so, we can be so concerned about who's going to be in charge over here. And then we consider our brothers and sisters in other countries like Myanmar or India. And God's people are there and what it's like to live there. And yet it's well for God's people. Their king, God, the king of God's people, is Jesus Christ. He's the prince. They're citizens of his kingdom, and he provides for them. He protects them. He builds his church. He averts evil or turns it to the profit of his people. His people are safe wherever they may be. However difficult the situations may be, he cares for and preserves. He provides us with food. He provides us the comfort of the forgiveness of sins. We ask him, govern us, rule us, and he does. He directs us by his spirit that the spirit of our king works within us and guides us. And our king has wisdom and might. And those two go, we see often those two ideas, those two wisdom and might mentioned. We can understand why. On the one hand, if you had wisdom, but you didn't have might. If you had wisdom and you knew what to do. If you had a king that had, was wise and knew what to do, but he didn't have any might to do it. Or if you had a king that was mighty, but he didn't know what, he didn't have wisdom. We see how we needed a king that was wise. And a king that was mighty. Jesus is that wise and mighty king. And we see that in his, in his, made known in his name. He's the counselor. He's the one that gives wise counsel. Not like the rulers of this world the rulers of this world that will often surround themselves with a group of counselors to give them advice on a variety of matters. How are they gonna rule the country? Well, they'll have all a group of people around them, giving them advice as to what to do. Different ones in different areas, giving them advice as to what to do. Our king, is the wisdom of God. The Son of God is the word, wisdom, and image. And he guides everything and directs everything according to God's counsel. He accomplishes his purpose. And the wise king gives wisdom. Not only do we have a wise king, 
that he is wise, but he gives wisdom. We're to ask, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. We're going to be talking about this in young people's society in a little after this service. About the heavenly wisdom. And that that's the wisdom we're to seek from God. Well, God gives wisdom. We're to ask for it, as Solomon did. In the situations, we're asking for the wise one to give us wisdom. And he grants it to us. Our king is wise. Our king is also mighty. He's the mighty God. He's the counselor who gives wise counsel. He is the mighty God. He might to execute God's counsel. Power to deliver us from spiritual foes. And we know that we talk about the, the Syrians. Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, Romans. We know that what God's people needed was deliverance from sin and Satan. Who could deliver from sin and Satan? So often just look, people can just look at, at the earthly and want an earthly kind of deliverance and desire an earthly kind of a kingdom. Who could help them in an earthly kind of battle and use carnal weapons? Who could deliver from sin? Who could deliver from death? The Messiah who would come would deliver us from sin and death. As we considered this morning, our will was dead. Our will was in bondage to sin. He liberated us. He set us free. So that we're not in bondage. We see the world in its bondage to sin. And we still have a depraved nature. But we have received the beginning of the deliverance. We've been set free. We have a life already that will not end. It'll never end. We'll be citizens of the kingdom of Christ forever. He set us free. We have life everlasting. He has the might to deliver us, and he has. And he will. For we know there's also a future deliverance. He will raise our bodies. It's astounding. That he will raise our bodies. He has power. Our king. Wisdom and power. And he preserves his church. Though at times. She appears small. We say that in the Belgian confession. Though at times she appears small. And though God's people go through a time in which they're persecuted. And that Belgic Confession, too, is written to be a comfort to God's people in a time of persecution. And though there be persecution, though there be opposition, God preserves his people. 
So there's the opposition of the, of the people of the world. And though we see the lawlessness abounding and how we expect as time goes on that there will be, that they will make it more difficult for us, accuse us of hate crimes and we know not what exactly will happen because of the positions that we hold to, that they speak against us. Yet we know that God will preserve us, whatever may happen. And though it'll be that those that apostatize will work right along with the wicked world, just as they did against Jesus, where the Jewish leaders were working right along with the Roman Empire against Christ. So we expect the church that's apostatized and the false church working together with the, the world against God's people. Yet we don't have anything to fear. Christ is our king. And of his kingdom there is no end. And in the midst of all the struggles we go through, we confess that we do have peace. Peace. The promised son would be the prince, he'd be the ruler, he'd be the king. He'd be the prince of peace. The kingdoms of this world are very much different than that. The scriptures say that there is no peace for the wicked. None. They try to, they talk about peace and they speak about world peace, but they don't really have peace. They will talk about a peace without Christ, without the Prince of Peace. That they'll reject the Prince of Peace, and yet they'll talk about how somehow, without the Prince of Peace, we can all be together and have peace. We can live together and have peace. We don't need the Prince of Peace. So they would think. And when the Messiah came, the people would cry out, crucify him. There is no peace without the Prince of Peace. One does not have peace if they don't have peace with God. And those who are justified by faith, as we've been considering this morning and the previous morning, the previous Lord's Day, Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that's another example of how that's not only a doctrine that you confess and you know, and you know you can prove that. Scripture says being justified by faith, you have peace with God. But then also in one's own life, if somebody asks you, do you have peace with God? You say, yes, and they say, what, what does that mean? What do you mean when you say you have peace with God? You say, I know that Christ has offered the perfect sacrifice. I know he has reconciled me to God. I know that his righteousness is my righteousness before God. I know that that's true. God tells me. It's set forth in the gospel. And by the grace of God, I believe that. I know my sins are forgiven. That I'm washed whiter than snow. I have peace with God. What a comfort 
we have. Knowing our sins are forgiven. Christ, the Prince of Peace, would offer that sacrifice that we might be reconciled. He would work in us faith. He'd bring to us the gospel. He's the one that speaks in the proclamation of the gospel. He's the one that by his spirit works in us faith. He causes us to hear that gospel, to believe, to have comfort, to know that we've been reconciled to God. And the Prince of Peace works in us that we might be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He also works within us so that we desire there to be peace and that we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He works within his people so that his people fight against their own sins. And desire to promote what a true peace. We know there's the false peace of which the world speaks. That they want to have there to be peace when their people are impenitently walking in sin. But among God's people, we desire there to be true peace. And when there is someone walking in sin, we desire to work with them and talk to them and deal with them in the right way. Desiring them to repent and to confess their sin and sorrow. And when God's people have confessed their sin with sorrow and are showing their sorrow, we delight to bring them the comforting word of forgiveness. We with them are thankful for the forgiveness of sins for all we like sheep have gone astray. And we're all together thankful that we're forgiven. And we delight to speak to others about the forgiveness of sins and to show that we view one another as forgiven sinners who are cleansed of all unrighteousness. We desire to promote peace and that out there, there isn't peace out there, but there's to be peace in here. Among God's people, among the citizens of the king who is the prince of peace. Peace among the saints here and peace where with God's people, wherever they may be. The Prince of Peace works within us. God would perform this. God assures his people that this will happen and says that of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. No end. People of the world will use that. They'll talk about happily ever after. And they may use the word forever. When, when scripture says no end here, it means that. No end. Those of the world, they may have some kind of a temporary peace, temporary ceasefire, in order to accomplish something that they want to accomplish for a while. It isn't a real peace, and it doesn't last. Of this peace, there should be no end. We have peace, 
we have prosperity. That idea of peace can also have carry with it the idea that those who have peace, shalom, are prosperous. We have the true prosperity. In politics, people have in their mind, I want people to be prosperous. I want our country to be prosperous. And they have their mind on earthly things. So they have a certain agenda of what they think that we should do in order for that we might prosper. In Jesus Christ, God's people have the true riches. True peace. Prosperity. Knowing this, Receiving all that we receive as a gracious gift. We desire to thank and praise him who is, whose name is wonderful. And to say this verse with joy, with shouts of joy, unto us, unto us. child is born. Unto us a son is given. A government should be upon his shoulder. Upon the shoulder of the son given to us. And we know his name. And we know he is our king forever. May we praise him as thankful citizens of his kingdom. May we live not unto ourselves, but unto him who hath redeemed us. May we praise and exalt his name and look forward to his return, which we know will happen, the full realization of what God has told us. May we hope, may we who have that hope, may we purify ourselves as Christ is pure and live to the honor of his great and holy name. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, O Lord, our Redeemer, we are so thankful for the good news of the gospel of grace so thankful for the salvation, the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. May thy word of truth go forth to the nations, the true gospel of the kingdom. And may we rejoice, may we rejoice as we think of the birth so many years ago of the Prince of Peace. And as we think also of his resurrection and his ascension, and of his return, that he's our king, that we belong to him, that he's our king, and that we belong to him, that we're not our own. May we glorify and praise thee. We grant us that grace. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.